You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. Welcome to our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Presence With Us. Join us as we explore the person and work of the Holy Spirit and how His presence in our lives empowers us to live a life of faith and witness. Discover how the Holy Spirit can transform us and guide us into a deeper relationship with Him. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is John 16, 12 through 22. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me, because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. In a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this he's telling us? In a little while, you will not see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... They said, what is this he is saying in a little while? We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him, and so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? In a little while, you will not see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. Truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born brought into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy from you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. Peace be with you. Great to be with you. I'm Pastor TPJ, and I am privileged to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning as we look at this particular text. Well, a few weeks ago, there were some researchers, and they did this research project, and they surveyed a sample of American adults and asked them about how they understood spiritual realities. And so they gave them a description of spiritual reality, of the spiritual world, and then asked them, does this align with how you see the spiritual world? And so they asked them this. Here's the way they described the spiritual realm and asked them, do you agree with this? It is an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us. It penetrates us. It binds the galaxy together. And 56% of Americans said, this is how I understand the spiritual world. Now, just so you know, that is not from the New Testament. That is not from the Old Testament. It is not, in fact, from any religious text at all. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's from Star Wars. Uh, that's how they described it. And 56% of Americans said, that's how I understand the spiritual world. And let me just tell you, Star Wars is a glorious story for your family movie night. It is a terrible authority for your theology, okay? Don't use it for your theology. And yet, I don't think it's just those 56% of American adults that actually see the spiritual realm and see God and sometimes see the Holy Spirit even as nothing more than a force I think we do more often than we want to admit. 
that we treat the Holy Spirit like it's sort of this force, this power we can put to work for us to do what we can't do in our own power. Sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit that way. Now, if Star Wars were real, and I have heard, this is devastating to me, that some people think Star Wars is fiction. Uh, it's not didn't really happen. And so I'm just going to go with that majority consensus. I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm going to go with the majority consensus that it's fiction, okay? So if, that, if it's real, if it were real, then it gives you the power through the force to do all these things that you can't do on your own. But here's what I want us to see. It's not just when we do, when we have a power, a force, it's more like something that we use for our benefit to get what we want that's beyond our power. It's kind of like in Super Mario Kart where you get that super speed boost like that. You're going at a certain speed and then whoosh, you go on at a faster speed. It's kind of like that. And sometimes we treat the Holy Spirit in that way, like a spiritual extra super speed boost. Like I do this in my own power thus far, and then Holy Spirit kick in to let me do what I can't do. That's how we treat the Holy Spirit. And I don't want you to get this wrong. The Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit is a power, but the Holy Spirit is not merely a power to do what I can't. Hear this. The Holy Spirit is a person who is powerfully present in you to do greater things than you ever dreamed. It's not just something where you have the Holy Spirit to help you do what you can't do in your own power. The Holy Spirit is a person powerfully present in you to do what you would never dream of doing in your own power. And when we see the Holy Spirit as just a power for my benefit, instead of as a person powerfully at work in me beyond what I could ever hope or dream, one of the things we miss is joy is joy. Here's why. Because then when things don't go the way I had hoped or expected, I feel frustrated and upset with what God is up to. But if I recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person at work in me to do powerfully what I could never do in my own power, when things don't go the way I anticipated, the way I hoped, the way I expected, what I am able to do is to say, God, what are you up to that is better than what I dreamed? And when that happens, I can live in a greater joy than I ever imagined. And that's why so often in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is connected with joy. Have you ever thought about this? How often? I just want to lay out for you a handful of texts in which that happens. Luke chapter 10 and verse 21, Jesus is praising his Father. And the first thing it says in the text before he praises his Father is he is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 13 and verse 52, this is the church there. It says that the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, in the kingdom of God, it's not just eating and drinking. It's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, you yourselves became imitators of this and you welcomed our message, how? With joy from the Holy Spirit. And the text today we look at, it speaks of the spirit of truth and immediately after it speaks of the spirit of truth, it tells us about joy. The Holy Spirit 
is connected to joy in Scripture. And so here's what we're going to be doing today. Two weeks ago, Jamal took a a look at uh, chapter 14 of John's gospel. Last week, Pastor Andy took this first part of chapter 16. We're going to pick up and just build on that, looking at Jesus' discourse in the upper room and as he's going toward what will end up culminating in his crucifixion, building on that and looking at how the presence of the Spirit leads to joy. And here's the key truth I want you to get, simply this. If you've trusted Jesus, all the same joy you would have if Jesus is beside you is available to you because his spirit is within you. That's the key truth I want you to get. If you've trusted Jesus, you can experience the same joy that you would if Jesus was beside you because his spirit is within you. So here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to personalize that this morning to get ready. Let's try if I have trusted Jesus, I can experience. Can you say that with me? If I have trusted Jesus, I can experience the same joy that I would if Jesus was beside me because his spirit is within me. That's the truth I want you to get. The same joy is available through his Holy Spirit. And already some of you are saying, yeah, that sounds good. But I already cussed at my kids two times today just on the way to church. I'm having a rough day. I barely got to you. Some of you may be saying, look, pastor, I I just barely got out of bed this morning. Maybe emotional pain. It may be physical pain. You're just saying, I'm barely here. And you're asking for joy. I am just not feeling it. Well, here's the good news. Joy is not a feeling. (laughs) That's the good news. That's not bad news. That's good news. Good news is that joy is not a feeling. Joy is a sense of contentment and well-being with what God provides, even if it wasn't what you planned. That's joy. Well-being and contentment with what God provides, even if it wasn't what you planned. And I want to give you two movements, two ways of thinking about this to help you to develop over time this practice of joy. Here's the first one. Trust in the Spirit's provision because He provides you with every truth you need to follow Jesus. Trust in the Spirit's provision. He provides what you need. And secondly, press on in the Spirit's power because the Spirit guarantees that your sorrow is never the final word. So let's look at those. Trust the Spirit's provision. He gives you every truth you need. As, as this text is happening that we're talking about here in John chapter 16, it seems they've left the upper room at some point and they're walking toward the Mount of Olives. And so we can imagine for a moment that Jesus' hands are still damp from him having, him having washed the disciples' feet. They're walking through, it's Passover time, it's Passover weekend, the festival is there. Thousands of people have converged upon Jerusalem. They can smell in the air the smell of all the lambs roasting on the open fires, and they're walking toward the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is teaching them, he's talking to them, and one of the things that he says to them here is, I have many things that you cannot bear yet. There's so many things I want to tell you, but you can't handle those things yet. You may wonder, what what on earth is it? I mean, he's hinted about the cross, but what is it that they can't handle yet? Well, let's just think about the next few hours they're going to face. 
Not merely Jesus going to the cross, but wrongly convicted. Jesus being stapled to this Roman beam of wood, him being whipped, him being abused in all of these different ways. They are going to endure that. But even think beyond that. Even after the resurrection, they are going to face persecutions. They are going to face all sorts of torture and torment. They are going to face martyrdom. Jesus says to them, you can't handle yet all the things that I need to tell you. But he told them what they needed to know for the moment that they were in. And his Holy Spirit, he says, I'm going to send the Spirit to do the same to tell you what you will need to know for the moment that you are in. And he did. And think of all they received and that we receive. You see, he sent the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit was sent. The Holy Spirit indwelt, lived and took up residence in all of the followers of Jesus that were there. So he gives us his presence within us through the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things he gives to us. And you may be wondering, how do I know if the Holy Spirit actually lives in me? How do I know if the Holy Spirit dwells in me? Well, I want us to understand something. There is a simple way you can know if the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And when we say that, what we simply mean is your spirit is in fellowship with the Spirit of God. And there's a very simple way. Are you trusting and following Jesus right now? If you are, the Holy Spirit lives in you, period. It's simple. It's not complicated. If you are trusting, following Jesus right now, the Holy Spirit is living in you because you could never come to the point of trusting in Jesus in your own power, your own intellect, or your own intelligence, or your own choices. You would never come to that on your own. So if you are trusting in Jesus right now, the Holy Spirit is living in you. So that's part of what Jesus gives in this. But not only that, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, he gives us his word. The New Testament is written over the next few years after this time by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, God gives them and us his people There's so many things that God gives through Jesus to guide them into the truths that they need. And understand what this lets us know. God is never withholding from you anything you need. There's never a moment where God is just holding back and saying, I'm not going to give you what you need to follow me. You've got to figure it out on your own, in your own power. No, Jesus, by his spirit, gives you everything you need to be faithful to him in the moment that you are in. Praise God. It's not us that has to come up with it, but it's him. Everything you need proceeds to you from the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. And that God doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen in our lives. He doesn't tell us what's coming, but he gives us everything we need to be faithful in whatever comes. He doesn't tell you what's coming, but he does give you what you need to be faithful whatever may come. And that is not a mistake. It is mercy and grace. Imagine with me just for a moment. Think about this. What if Jesus had told his disciples every triumph that they were going to face in the decades to come? or every triumph the church would face in the centuries to come. Let's suppose that Jesus had told them at this point, look, guess what? I'm going to send my spirit, and you all, over time, the church is going to grow till it becomes the dominant force in the Roman Empire. 
And it's going to become stronger than the empire itself. And in 2,000 years from now, there will be billions of people around the world who are reading and hearing the words that some of you are going to write. And the movement you all start is going to become one of the biggest global phenomena ever. What if Jesus had told them that? They'd been filled with pride. <laughs> Look at what we're going to do. Look at us. We're starting this. We are amazing. That's what they would have done. But on the other hand, flip that around. What if Jesus would have told them all the tragedies that would happen in the centuries and decades yet to come? What if Jesus would have said, you're going to be tortured, you're going to be imprisoned, Peter, you are going to die for me and suffer and die for me? Within 30 years, what if Jesus would have told them that within 30 years, Christians would be hanging from poles in Nero's gardens being used to light the, the gardens by them being burned? What if he'd have told them that? What if he would have told them that 2,000 years from now, there will be approximately 10,000 Christian martyrs every year? What if he told them that? They'd been crushed. <laughs> but he doesn't. He tells them what they need to know for the moment that they are in. And he does that by his spirit for us. He lets us know what we need to know for the moment that we are in. And if you think about it, you know that. Look at the past 10 years of your life. Imagine 10 years ago that God would have told you every success you would have in the past 10 years. What would have happened? Man, am I something else or what? This was going to happen, this, I was going to achieve this. But again, flip it around the other way. What if God 10 years ago would have said, here's every tragedy every punch in the gut you're going to get in the next 10 years. What would you have done? I, I can't deal with it. <laughs> I can't deal with this. This is too much. I can't. I can't face what you're describing right here. That's what we would all be. We can't face this. We can't do it. But God doesn't tell us those things. He gives us what we need to know for the moment that we are in and here you are. He gives us what we need for the place where we are at. The Spirit never withholds anything I need to be faithful in the moment I am in. You have what you need through the people of God, the Spirit of God, the Scriptures. You have what you need to be faithful in the moment that you are in right now. You have it. And so trust in the Spirit's provision because he provides what you need to be faithful. But let's look at that second movement. Press on in the Spirit's power because the Spirit is God's guarantee that your sorrows, your suffering, your struggles are never the final word. Hear these words from this text, verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you'll no longer see me. Again, a little while and you will see me. Then some of his disciples said to one another, what is this he's telling us? A little while, you will not see me. Again, a little while, you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. They said, what is this he's saying? A little while. We don't know what he's talking about. Jesus knew they wanted to ask him. And so he said to them, are you asking one another about what I said? A little while and you will not see me again. A little while and you will see me. Well, yeah, we are asking. I love this text. They just say to Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> We don't know what you're talking about. We have no clue what you're talking about. And have you ever felt that sometimes? 
it's a certain situation in your life or a text you're reading in scripture and your response is, I have no idea. I just don't know. I have no clue what God is doing. I have no clue what he's trying to say. I have no clue what this is. I don't know what is going on here. And there was a time in the past when teaching this text, what I would have done is I would have emphasized the denseness of the disciples right here. Ah, how foolish, how dumb they were. I read it now and I'm like, you know what? Jesus actually isn't very clear here. Like, it's not the disciples' fault. Jesus is not very clear in what he is seeing. Now you see me, now you don't. Is he teaching us about God or giving us the rules for hide-and-go-seek? I do not know. A little while you'll be with me. A little while, peekaboo, I'm here, count to 20. I don't know what's happening right here, and I wouldn't have if the disciples, if I were one of those disciples. But So what is he saying here? A little while, not a little while, what is going on? Well, first and foremost, he is talking about the resurrection, He's saying, for a short while, during this time when I am dead, you will not see me. Then you will see me, and you will have joy at that time when you see me. Again, so it is first and it is foremost about the resurrection, but it's also at the same time about the time he is going away and sends his spirit to us. This is for them And this is also for us at the same time. You see a hint of that back in verse 7. We're back in verse 7. Jesus said, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. That is, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about his going is also what we're living in right now. Jesus is not present with us. And yet his spirit is present with us. He is going away for a little while. And you may be saying, it doesn't feel like a little while. It's been 2,000 years. That seems like a little bit of a long time. But God sees things from an infinite and an eternal perspective. When you're God, 2,000 years is a little while. Millions of years of our time can be a little while from God's perspective. It is a little while. And Jesus tells them in this, you can have joy because you know what is yet to come. Look at verse 20. Jesus says in verse 20, truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. So you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. So he uses this metaphor here of of birth. And I've never personally given birth. But from those who have participated in the process, it seems that it involves a significant degree of pain. And Jesus isn't downplaying that reality at this point. He's not downplaying that. But what he is communicating in this is that there is a joy on the other side that makes the pain worth it. He's not saying that the pain isn't real. He's just saying the joy is so much greater. And that's true for the disciples as they're waiting for the resurrection. But it's also true for you and me in this in-between time. We have a joy that is present with us in the Holy Spirit. We have a joy that is present here and now. And yet it's also a joy that is yet to come and be fulfilled. You see, we live with a foot in one of each of two worlds. On the one hand, foot in this world, I have the power and the joy of the Holy Spirit right now. 
Okay, that's wonderful. That's good. On the other hand, I'm waiting for a kingdom that is yet to come and that Jesus will bring. We are living in both of these worlds at the same time with the joy that Jesus has brought and a joy that is present in the Spirit and yet a hope of a joy that is yet to come that is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit in us right now. And that can bring joy even now. Even now, that can bring us joy. Because recognize this, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Can we pause and think about that for a moment? That the same Spirit, not some different junior Spirit living in you or something like that, is like the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you right now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We see that in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. Hear these words of Paul in Romans 8, 11. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will also give to your mortal bodies the, the life of the Spirit living in you. You see that? That the same Spirit that lives in you is the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Pause and recognize that what that means is that on that third day, the same Holy Spirit that lives in you began to bring warmth and the blood flowing in a heart that had grown cold in that tomb. And the blood begins to course and to flow through wrists that had been pierced by nails. That by the power of the Holy Spirit in that tomb of Jesus, blood-crusted eyelids fluttered open and death-gray flesh was filled with melanin. And that Holy Spirit who did that, who brought God the Son through the door of death alive and well, that Spirit dwells in you if you're a follower of Jesus. And that is God's guarantee that nothing that happens to you in this life is the final word about you. Nothing that happens is the final word. That work of the Spirit guarantees that sorrow never speaks that final word because we serve a God who can turn a tomb into a womb, who can turn a grave into a groove, who can turn our hurt into his harvest, who can turn our sorrow into his joy, who can turn the devil's worst into God's best. If he can do that in, an in a tomb that becomes empty, he can do that in you. Our worst sorrows and our greatest triumphs, neither one of them has a chance against God's power. And I hope that sounds great to you, but I think some of you are probably thinking the same thing I would think, but how do I do this? How do I really just live in this joy? How do I abide in this joy? Because you may be tempted to be like, you know what, tomorrow morning I am just going to wake up and I'm going to say, it is joy from now on for me. And that will last approximately until the caffeine runs out. And then you just hate everybody again. That's all that's going to happen if you just decide. You see, we're, we're complicated beings. We're complicated beings who are hormones and cells and habits and motives and all these things that we don't even completely understand ourselves. We just don't get it all. And things happen over time. You're not just going to be able to say, joy, and suddenly be there. It's a process. It takes time. 
It's hard. It takes work for us, not because we're working for God's favor, but rather because God is pleased as we work from his favor to work with us and to empower us as we are seeking him in beautiful and good ways. And so I want to give you three different things, just three different thoughts as to how you get this into your life over time. Not all tomorrow, certainly not all today, but over time. Here's the first one. Make space for sorrow in your joy. Make space for sorrow in your joy. And some of you may be thinking, I I thought those two were opposites. (laughs) How can I make space in my joy for sorrow? But they're not actually opposites. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 10. He's speaking of this life in the Holy Spirit. And in verse 10, he says, grieving yet always rejoicing. <laughs> you see what he's saying there? Grief, sorrow, and joy, they, they can coexist with one another. And sometimes you need to make space in your sorrow or in your joy for your sorrow. Sometimes we don't want to do that or we don't know how to do that. But understand, the opposite of joy isn't sorrow. The opposite of joy is ingratitude that has you constantly complaining, whether it's about your work, your family, your church, whatever it may be, a constantly complaining attitude. That's the opposite of joy. That's the opposite of joy. But hear this, we just can't live in the Spirit's joy if we don't make any space for our sorrow. We said that in Jesus Just a few hours after this, Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to, in the midst of him being perfect, sinless, he is going to there make some space for his sorrow in the garden. If Jesus needed to do that, why would you and I think we don't need to? We need to make space for our sorrow in the midst of our joy. Because let's let's just be honest. There are spots in your life you've gotten punched really hard. Just hard. Where you just, you feel it. And you just got a bruise there. You've got that in your life. I don't care who you are, there's areas in your life you just took a hit. And in those areas of your life, it may be sometimes for a while and maybe all the way until you see Jesus in glory your joy is going to have a bruise there. It's going to. And you got to make space for that and recognize that I can be sorrowful and joyful at the same time. And I need to make space in my joy to deal with and reckon with my sorrow. Because otherwise your sorrow turns to bitterness. (laughs) That's what it does. Just tell you my own life, when my wife and I went through this, the long road of wanting biological children that never came. And I got to a point at one point where I thought that I had to just push all that sorrow down. And here's what it turned into. It turned into a bitterness that cropped up whenever, whenever anyone else had a child. And I just was bitter, I was angry, I hated them because I wasn't dealing with the sorrow, because I thought I had to deal with the sorrow by pushing it away and pushing it down because I was supposed to be joyful. 
But I recognized eventually that I can be a sorrow and a bruise and joy at the same time. That means I can rejoice with somebody else who God has blessed in a particular way. I can rejoice in that and still feel the bruise at the same time. I don't have to make those fight each other. I can be sorrowful and I can be joyful at the same time. And it's that way in our life. We start pushing it down and not making space for it. We get better. We get hateful toward others. But once I did that, I recognized that I could enjoy the family God did give me. I could enjoy the people around me who were enjoying the gifts God gave them and recognize that in the midst of my joy, I could be recognizing that bruise at the same time. You don't have to push out one to get to the other. There's a song by U2, Grace, that has these words in it. And it says, what once left a bruise no longer stings because grace makes beauty of ugly things. That's what you hope for in the future. But in this life, the bruise is sometimes still there. Make space in your joy for the bruises and know this. Jesus loves bruised people. Jesus loves broken people. Jesus loves you bruised as you are. He loves you that way. He loves you. The second point I want you to see in this is when you don't understand what God is doing, remind yourself that the Spirit does provide all you need to be faithful. It's not a mistake. It's an act of grace. And whenever I think of this, I think of a, of a story in, in The Hiding Place, the book by, about, about and by Corey Ten Boom, her family during World War II they hid hundreds of Jewish people and saved their lives during the Second World War. And she was, they were taken by the Nazis. They were put in a concentration camp and all of her family died other, other than her. And she told a story about trying to understand God's ways about when she was a little girl. And she, she asked her father something that her father could not give her the answer in that moment because it was too much for her. And so she said, ask him about this. And rather than answering her, here's what her father, Casper Ten Boom, did. He took his heavy, heavy satchel. He put it on the ground and told her, pick it up, carry it. And she tugged at it. She said, I can't. I can't pick it up. It's too heavy for me. And when she did that, he said to her, yes, and it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It's the same way with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy. When you're older and stronger, you can bear it. But for now, trust me to carry it for you. God is carrying for you way more than you know. God's carrying it for you. Your father carries it for you. And sometimes we get so frustrated with God. Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you allow this? What about this? What about this? And we don't recognize he's carrying a load far greater than we've ever seen and he's carrying it for us. Your father is carrying it for you. Tim Keller, a, a real giant of the faith, died this, this past week, passed away. And one of the things he said, one of my favorite quotations from Tim Keller is this. He said, as a Christian, God always gives you what you would have asked for if only you knew what he knows. God gives you what exactly you would ask for 
if only you knew all that he knows. And it's true. He's carrying the burden. He's carrying the load. And when you are broken, he will carry you. He will carry you. The last truth that I want you to see here is simply this. Never stop looking for where the Spirit is working. As far as the disciples could see, all there was that they could see was Jesus. He's going to die. And then a few weeks after he dies, he's going to go away. That's all they see. That's all they can see in this moment. Jesus, you say you're leaving. You're going to be gone when you're in the grave. Then you're coming back. Then you're going away and leaving us. All they could see was the absence they were feeling of Jesus. That's all they could see. But all the time, resurrection was at work among them. He recognized that. All the time, resurrection was at work. All the time, Jesus was already planning his resurrection before he even died. Even now, he is already making a place for us, and he will come again and receive us to himself. Jesus is already working resurrection among us. We can't see it, but he's working resurrection in you and among you. Many years ago, there were at the edge of what we now know as Spain and Portugal at the edge on the west end, in the waters, there were the pillars of Hercules. These pillars of Hercules that, that looked out there, and as you look past them, there was just the Atlantic Ocean, as far as you could see. And according to ancient legend and tradition, engraved upon those pillars were the words in Latin, non plus ultra, nothing more beyond this, non plus ultra. And it was basically saying, look, there's nothing more beyond what you see right here. But you and I both know there was a lot <laughs> beyond what they could see there. There was a lot. And sometimes it's easy to look at our lives and say, non plus ultra. There's nothing more beyond what I see. I don't see anything about where God's working. I don't see anything that God is doing in my life as it is right now. I don't see anything where God is at work. Yet there's much more that God is doing beneath the surface and beyond what you see. Don't say non plus ultra when you look at your life. There's nothing more beyond what I see because God is working in so many ways that you never see. God is at work. There are areas of your life you cannot figure out how on earth God's doing anything. He's at work. He's at work beyond what you see in ways that you perhaps could never even dream, he is at work in your life. Resurrection is happening beyond what you see. You may be a parent and you're spending all day, every day with preschoolers that you're fairly certain a demon possessed. And as you're looking at your day-by-day -day life, you may be looking at that and thinking, there is no resurrection happening here. There's nothing. God is not up to anything here. But in your faithfulness, in that, God is working. He's working resurrection that you don't even see. He is. He is. It may be that you are in what you feel like is an utter dead-end job. I am going to work day by day. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I can't figure out. But be faithful. Be faithful to God in that. And maybe where you're at and maybe somewhere else, God is working in a way you don't see. 
It may be that when I was speaking of the bruises that we take earlier, there's specific things that you think of. A relationship that fell apart. It may be a death that you experienced. It may be an experience that you've never even talked to anybody about. But even there, God is at work in what happened in a way that you cannot see. He is working there. He is at work. And because of that, you can have joy for two reasons. Number one, because God is working. And number two, because it's not the final word. The final word is yet to come in the resurrection of Jesus that will be fulfilled with our resurrection and the renewal of all things at the end of time. I look out at you, and I mean this, I love what I see when I look at you. I love you as the people here. I love the people of Sojourn. I love what I see. But you know what I love even more than what I see? I love what I don't see. Because I don't see the Spirit working in your lives in the ways that He is. But I know that He is. In every one of your lives, the Spirit of God is at work. And I don't see it when I look out at you. And I love what I see when I look out at you. But I love that work of the Spirit even more that I don't see when I look at you. I love that. Because that power of the Spirit working in you is working a joy that no force or mystical energy field could ever provide. And what he is doing, what he is working in you, is he is working in your life such that you can experience the same joy as if Jesus was beside you because his spirit is within you. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.